0: This morning, I want to speak to you on a topic that comes straight from this text. And that topic is that the Lord knows what is in the darkness. If you look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 22, it says, He reveals deep and hidden things, and He knows what is in the darkness. Now, I do hope you will keep your Bibles open because I'm going to be pointing to multiple sections throughout chapter 2 of Daniel as we go through this. And it would be helpful for you to uh, have your eyes on that. So whether you use your phone or your Bible, I pray you get it open right now. But he knows what is in the darkness. And as we will see in this passage, this truth has a very specific application. But the Lord knows many things we do not know. And so this also has many other applications as we look at it as believers removed from Daniel's situation. He knows things we cannot know. Without his revelations, we cannot know the future. We cannot know the meaning of every event that takes place. Why is this happening to me? Why is that happening in our nation? Why is this happening over here? We don't know those things unless the Lord tells us. But we do know God, and He knows those things. Now, in Daniel chapter 2, we find Daniel and his friends, the names we will know best, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are in a terrible situation. But that situation did not come upon them by accident. And the Lord in that situation showed them mercy, and he delivered them from certain death. And what we just read this morning is the praise that Daniel gives upon the revelation that God gives them that will save them from death. And so, Vodibachum actually argues that, that though we don't spend a lot of time in Daniel chapter 2 because we spend most of the time looking at the dreams and stuff that comes later, he actually argues that this section that we just read is the thesis statement for the entire book of Daniel. It is the operating truth that makes sense of everything else in the book. It is the reason Daniel could have hope. It's also the reason we can have hope even in the darkest night because the Lord knows what is in the darkness. So let's briefly just look at this praise that we just read. In verse 20 it says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. We serve a God of wisdom and might. Now, when you put those things together, wisdom, might, you have absolute sovereignty. That's why we as believers can never remove one of those from the attributes of God, or you have an impotent God. But God is a God of wisdom and might. Let me express this to you, help you understand why these two are so powerful together. In every trial that you face, we can, or in I face, we can ask two questions. Did God know that this was going to happen? And the answer throughout Scripture is loud and clear: Of course He does. He knows all things. He has all knowledge. The second, second, second question we can ask—that's so speaking to His wisdom—is Okay, this thing happened to me that I did not like. He knew it was going to happen. Second question, did he have the power to stop it? Yes. He is a God of all might. That means he is absolutely sovereign. Everything that happens is ultimately God's decision. Does this make him responsible for human sin? Absolutely not. Humans act and we sin. But God is the one who ultimately allows it to happen. And in allowing it, he is choosing to allow. He is the final decision maker in every single thing that happens. Spurgeon and others used to To uh, say things like, there is not an aphid that climbs across a plant that God has not ordained. Meaning, he is the decider. Now, you may sit here and say, Doug, you seem to be pushing that just a little too far. Well, Daniel continues, and he's going to explain. He's going to express this. Verse 21 says, he changes the times and the seasons, and he removes kings and sets up kings. God is sovereign. He is sovereign over nature and he is sovereign over man. He changes the seasons. Scripture points out that he is creator. But a lot of people have this deistic view of God being a creator that says he created, then step back and let it do its whole things. But that is not the scriptural picture of God. He is creator and sustainer. He is the uh, changer of the seasons. We didn't have much rain here in California for many, many years. God's choice. We got a lot of rain this year. God's choice. So he he is sovereign over all of it. He even removes kings and sets up kings. The, The reason... You may say, well, that's talking about kings, but what about the average man? The reason he puts kings is because kings seem to be the ones that are so powerful, maybe they escape God's sovereignty. No, they don't. So if if kings don't escape it, no one else does. And by the way, as we'll see later, why would we want to escape his sovereignty? But he sets up kings. He removes kings. And so, we may be asking... Uh, the question, well, you know, some people do seem to have more wisdom and ability to rule than others. Don't we give them some credit for their ability to understand and lead and put together city structures and politics? Well, Daniel continues. In verse 21, he continues and says, He removes kings, sets up kings, and he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. That is one of the ways God raises up kings and takes down kings. He is even sovereign over the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding that we have. This is a blessing because God is the all-wise God, but he does not keep it all hidden. He shares it with us. When you study theology, one of the things that is laid out is this idea of communicable attributes. There are certain things in creating us in his image that he shares with us. The ability to be moral, to know right and wrong. The ability to be just, know what justice is. The ability to love. All of these things are there. And the ability to know and think and understand truth and wisdom it all comes from him he is the father of lights and he gives light to all men so as you sit here this morning if you have any understanding of the world even if it's mathematics you do science or you do English or whatever job you're in you have understanding that knowledge came from God and if you sit here and you have the knowledge of salvation Most assuredly, that came from the Lord himself. Secular people are out there. Some of them are doing wonderful things. They're caring for their poor. They're they're developing medicines. They're doing all of this stuff. But in denying God, they are not recognizing the one who gave them those abilities. One apologist said, it's like sitting in God's lap and slapping him across the face. (laughs) He holds you up and you slap him he is the one who does it all. Verse 22 goes on. He says he he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. And this is where we're going to spend most of the time this morning. Many people are trying to figure out what is in the darkness. One of the questions that has been asked by philosophers for all of human history, it seems, is what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of it all? Why is all of this happening? Another question is, where is this all going? What is the future? Whether in general or specifically for me. This is why there are so many astrologers, mediums, fortune tellers, all of these people. There's all kinds of false religions and by the way even secular versions of those same things they're attempting to pierce the darkness and answer those questions but because they do not know the God in whom light dwells they don't pierce the darkness they only add to it when it comes to those types of questions only God can know what man cannot know and only he can reveal these truths, only God knows what is in the darkness. We only know what is in the darkness as to what he has revealed to us. So what does this mean for us? How do we put all this together? His wisdom, his might, his sovereignty, the light that he can bring. Now for Daniel and his friends, it plays out in a very specific way, as I would mentioned. And as we look at this situation, we can be encouraged. The praise Daniel gives, he knows all things, he's all powerful, he's sovereign, has been proven throughout history and in this event that we're going to look at. In verse 23, we read this this morning, it said, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the king's, Matter. Well, what is this? What is the king's matter? That's what all of this is hinging on. Well, first we need to ask who is the king? Look at Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. We did not read this this morning, but it says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. So the king is Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the setting at this point in history is that Daniel and his friends find themselves in a terrible situation that is about to become a worse situation. God's children. Terrible situation that's about to become a worse situation. You see, Israel had rejected God and they'd been worshiping false gods for years. They joined in an array of all sorts of cultural sins. But God was not mocked. They thought, well, We live in absolute sin, rejecting God, worshiping other gods, but at least we do the sacrifices and things. God's going to accept that. No, he didn't. And so God was not mocked. And after years and years and multiple warnings, God disciplines the nation of Israel. And to do so, God raised up the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar to take them captive. Did you catch that? God removed the king of Israel and established King Nebuchadnezzar. What Daniel is praising is happening, and in this passage, it's happened. Now, just a quick note of application. America is not God's chosen nation. So we must be careful in making comparisons to some of the promises to Israel that apply to, and try to apply them to America but we do know this sin is an approach, uh, a reproach to any nation and God often gives people the leaders they deserve because it's, they're the leaders they desire I mean if you look at Israel through all those years you desire pagan rulers who worship pagan gods I'll give you the worst of the worst and so we need to realize sometimes that even happens in other nations that are not God's chosen nation. We may not know why the wicked gain power, but God knows what's in the darkness, and he's still sovereign. So that's the king and the political rulers of the situation. What is the matter? What is the king's matter? Well, let's read verse 1 again in, in, for all of it. It says this, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So Nebuchadnezzar, especially at this point, was a wicked and godless man. There might, there's a change that comes later, uh, several years later. But at this point, he is just a wicked and godless man. He is a leader of a pagan nation that had killed many Israelites. I mean, when they took them captive, it was horrible. Starvation, brutal murders, all of it. And though God had raised him up, given him the the power politically to be able to do that, it was still Nebuchadnezzar's wickedness and his sins alone. God was not culpable in those. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was a man of absolute political power over what he ruled. He was a tyrant, a despot. I mean, you think of leaders having too much power and doing horrible things. He is one of them. But God not only sets up kings, sometimes even kings like this, but he moves them like chess pieces exactly where he wants them. And in this case he begins to move Nebuchadnezzar. He was now going to trouble the troubler of Israel. You see God knows the fears that plague the ungodly. Even those who are extremely powerful and he can do things like take their sleep from them. Even the most powerful amongst the, the, the world, God can play them like a fiddle anytime he chooses. And in this case, all it took to remove the sleep of one of the most powerful men on earth at that time was a dream. No evil ruler, no matter how powerful, will stand when the Lord decides to trouble them. And if he does not do it in this Life. If they do not repent, the day of judgment they will melt. That's the God we serve. Now, so here's Nebuchadnezzar. He's in a difficult situation. He, he can't sleep. He is desperately troubled. He's probably had some, some anxiety and things like that before. But all of a sudden, this anxiety seems to be touching his soul. Spurgeon used to talk about the difference between anxiety after he became a Christian and before he became a Christian. He said, after I became a Christian, yeah, there were things that would stir me up, but nothing compared to when God convicted my soul of my sin. I was an absolute torment until I found the remedy. This seems to be the kind of trembling and torment that seems to be happening to Nebuchadnezzar. So what does he do? He calls all his wise men, the ones who are supposed to be able to look into the darkness and tell him the things he needs to hear. In verse verse 2, it says this, then the king commanded the magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans Uh, be summoned to the king to tell him his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, you just see them fawning over themselves. They speak his language. they're, They're Oh, live king forever. Tell your servants a dream and we will show you the interpretation. We have the ability to pierce the darkness when it comes to interpreting dreams. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. So the king calls them all together but they are unable to help. Now he says the Chaldeans. Chaldeans was, was a small nation, not near, near uh, Babylon at that time, where a lot of the, they were kind of known for soothsaying and uh, astrology and all this kind of stuff. So he calls that group of men amongst his wise men to come to see him. But they're unable to help because they're actually frauds and charlatans. They don't know the God of light. My friends, in every nation, in every city, and in many places that even call themselves churches in this nation, there are those who claim to be wise. And they even appear to be wise to the world. And we think, man, they've gained a lot of following, a lot of power. But they're just frauds appealing to itching ears. And again, these frauds often rise to power when times are good. Because people like to be told what they want to hear when their lives aren't at risk. But when a real problem is presented, one that causes them to tremble, one that only God can solve, they are exposed. In this case, the Lord knows the emptiness they hide in the darkness of their souls. And he is exposing it. What he's doing is he's setting up a showdown between the false wise men and himself, those who know him. And since they cannot do what the king demands, he demands that all the wise men, not just the Chaldeans, all of them be torn limb from limb. Now, this is not a false threat. This is not someone getting on the Internet with absolutely no power and saying, anybody who can't do this uh, needs to be torn limb from limb. He will actually do it. We see this later when he throws Daniel in the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. Now, Daniel and his friends are actually some of the wise men. They're not the Chaldeans, but there's some of them in the court considered the wise men at this time. And so his life and their lives are on the line as well. In verse 13, it says this, so the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Verse 14 Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Ariok. Ariok is the one who was sent out to kill them all. He is the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Daniel declares to Ariok, Why is this de- the decree of the king so urgent? Then Ariok made the matter known to Daniel. I can't help but see a little bit of humanity in Ariok. I serve a despot king, and he's told me to do this terrible thing. Daniel's asking a question. Maybe Daniel's got a solution. Almost like he doesn't even want to do it. So Daniel, so he explains it to Daniel. Not just going to kill Daniel. He's like, well, let's see what happens. Daniel goes into verse 16 and requests the king to appoint a time That he may show him, show the king the interpretation of the dream. So again, they're part of this. They're not Chaldeans. They're sentenced to death as well now. And this brings Daniel into action. He says, Tell the king, set a time. I'm coming in and I'm going to tell you the dream and the interpretation. One problem Daniel doesn't know the dream or the interpretation. He's buying time. That's what he's doing. But immediately after that, in verse 17, it says, Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Now, just let me point something out there. Those are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's uh, Hebrew names. They're very important here because all their names end in either El or Ayah, which are references to the one true God. One of the things that Nebuchadnezzar wanted to do, because he even changed Daniel's name to Belshazzar, he said one of the things they wanted to do was eliminate any remembrance or knowledge of the true God of Israel. Remove it. So I'm even going to change your names. By the way, there are people in this nation who are trying to do that right now. Remove every cross in public areas. Take down X, do this, do this. No Bible in schools. Can't even be taught as uh, a history book or any type of book. You just can't have it. So this is what's happening. But Daniel uses their um, Hebrew names because it's very important who they know. Verse 18. And he told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the men of Babylon. So Daniel begins to seek mercy from the Lord because they too could not do what the king asked. They did not have the ability within them to do it, but they knew the one who could. So notice that they seek mercy. They have no right to demand a sovereign God do anything. They have no right being sinful men from a sinful nation that is being judged to demand anything of God. God is sovereign, but God is also gracious. And that is how they are approaching him. Knowing they need his mercy and his grace in this situation. So they approach the throne of grace. And what happens? Verse 19 The darkness of the hidden things is revealed. Verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision in the night. God just gives it to them. Here's the dream. Here's what it means. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. So God grants them the request they asked. In the process, he exposes the frauds and he lifts up the children of God And the whole purpose we read later on, I'm not going to spend much time on this dream because that's another sermon. He shows the king his future. And this is why it troubled him. Because in the dream, God is showing them, Nebuchadnezzar, you are a huge head of gold, a mighty ruler, but your kingdom will be overthrown. But don't worry. The kingdom that overthrows you will also be overthrown. And the kingdom that overthrows that kingdom will be also overthrown until there is a king and a kingdom made without hands that will replace it all and stand forever. And that is Christ and his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel and he pays homage to the God of Israel, but he does not like the dream because later you, you, I had a dream where I'm just a statue with a head of gold later I'm going to make a full statue of gold and make everybody bow down to it he rebels against this but he has to give homage where homage is due because only the God of light could reveal this so application what are we supposed to do with all of this? We're not in a similar situation. We're not in a, a situation where if, the God do, if God does not speak to us in a dream, we're going to die. So what is this about? Is this a passage about the power of prayer? Well, that's in there, but not really. Because I can guarantee you there were many prayers that Daniel asked that were not answered. For many years he lived in exile, And I'm sure on countless uh, countless times, he asked the Lord, Lord, remove us from this exile. Let us go back to Jerusalem and worship you like you've called us to worship. And the answer was no, you will die here. Your children will die here. And eventually the generation after that, I will let go back. So it's not... This passage, though we should be bold in praying, and sometimes the God actually answers, it's actually something deeper in this passage that he's telling us, more than just trying to get God to do what we want him to do with our prayers. This passage is about God himself and knowing him. He is the God of light. Our desire is not always to get our prayers answered exactly how we want our prayers answered. Our desire is to know the one who is the God of light, regardless of whether our prayers are answered the way we want. So right now, you may be surrounded by all kinds of darkness. We live in a nation, as I've mentioned, that's being enveloped by sin, and not only sin, absolute absurdity in certain matters. Romans 1 says, When you suppress the truth in unrighteousness, the knowledge of God, you become vain and futile in your reasonings. And we have people trying to push policies through our government right now that are absolutely absurd. Defy logic, defy reasoning. So we may be wondering why is this happening? And these leaders who are pushing this are surrounded by frauds and charlatans who pretend to be wise but are fools because they do not know the Lord. In suppressing the truth and righteousness about God, their foolish hearts have been darkened and they are rejecting his ways. More personally, we may be dealing with economic woes. You may be sitting here this morning actually nursing a body that is actually dying. And the list could go on and on. And we have the same questions, right? What is the meaning of all of this? Why is God allowing this in my life? Where is all of this headed? We don't have those answers. But we serve a God who knows what is in the darkness, He is a God of wisdom. And might. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes rulers and he establishes rulers. He is sovereign. What does that mean for you? And what does that mean for me? There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that comes into a Christian's life apart from his sovereign will. And he makes no mistakes. There is no greater comfort once you begin to understand this. There is no greater comfort than knowing that every trial we face is ordained by a loving God. You could be sitting here with a pain in your body that is just radiating and making it hard for you to concentrate And you wonder why. I don't have the answer. You don't have the answer. But know this. There's a loving God who has a good purpose for you and the people of God in it. So again, we may not know the future. We may not know the meaning of it all. But he does. And he's working it all for our good. We don't deserve any goodness from his hand. But he has told us what we could not know without his revelation. He has spoken to us in his word. And he says this. The biggest problem you have and the biggest problem I have. He says sinners can be made right with God through his son Jesus Christ. He's revealed that. that. That can't be revealed through nature. He spoke through the prophets, through his word. And we can trust this sovereign God because of his great love for us. My friends, he's the most faithful friend you have ever had. I don't care how close you are to your spouse or anybody else in life. No one has been more faithful to you if you are a believer than Jesus Christ. Because you were wandering in darkness and sin. And the Lord knew what was in the darkness. He knew everything you deserved. And he still loved you. He loved you so much. He said, I am going to take on flesh and die for them in order to purchase them so they could be mine. That is how much I want them to be with me. And the Father sends the Son because he loves you. The Son bears the wrath because he loves you. And the Holy Spirit says yes. And I will support and I will sustain Christ on the cross. And then after it's all done, I will go out and call them to me. And I will give them new life in Christ. Despite the fact that I know everything that's in their darkness. And so he's called you to him. And if you were here this morning, that has happened to you. You have new life in Christ, and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He is a faithful friend. And even since you and I have become Christians, he has been more faithful than we could ever deserve. Even after betrayal, after betrayal, after betrayal, of living in sin, even as believers, he looks at us like he looked at Peter after the denial and said, my child, I love you. That is a faithful friend, and he has promised, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And in the last day, his kingdom will stand and all evil will be overthrown. But for now, for now, temporarily, afflictions, sickness, and death falls on the just and the unjust alike. We may not know why and he may not tell us why, but you can trust him. As he does it, by the way, he is putting a contrast to the world between those who claim to know light and those who actually know the God of light. We can suffer cancer with grace. We can suffer loss with grace. We can suffer lost careers and ruined livelihoods. With grace, because we know there's something greater that we have. So I close with this two sentences. We may not know what's hidden in the darkness, but we know that there is a loving God pulling the strings, and He is working all things for our good. So my final charge to you this morning is this Bear patiently, be still. Even in the darkness, because his loving hand is in the darkness. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you now and we thank you that you are a God of might and wisdom, the only God of might and wisdom who controls all things, who is sovereign over all. Lord, so often we don't understand, and so often. We we chafe against your work. But Lord, we trust you. We pray that you give us your Holy Spirit to find peace in these times. We pray that you also give us the boldness to pray for rev- resolutions because so often that is what you're doing as well. You're gonna give a testimony to answered prayer or something else. So Lord, we do ask that we pray, but we pray that you give us the grace no matter how you answer to find peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.